This is Without Compromise, a show that explores what happens when you won't settle for anything less than your crazy ideas. We'll talk to athletes, founders, adventurers, and entrepreneurs of all kinds about living without compromise. I'm your host, Mason Gravely. Welcome to the show. We're programmed for survival, so our instinct is to give up on these situations, to move away from them. I thought if I didn't sign up for that race, that I was just going to disappear. It doesn't have to be these big, huge things that everyone thinks you need to do to make a difference. Hey folks, I know we're already two weeks in, but Happy New Year. This is the first episode for us uh, for 2022, and we're going to start it off with a bang. We got Brian Mazza. He's been a longtime athletic brewing supporter and community member, and he is someone that is going to get you moving, uh, keep you motivated. I think that's important right now because a lot of us have probably set goals for the year, and you know, the, this is about the time where it's like, dang, all right, we're two weeks in. Uh, things are going smooth, but at some point it's going to be harder to keep up. You know, a lot of us here at Athletic Brewing are doing dry January even, and that can be difficult for some of us. So, and, and again, that's where you don't drink for the month of January. And we're doing that as a big community. And so Brian's somebody that just helps you stay motivated for your goals. Uh, he, he has just got an amazing personal story that we're only going to get into a little bit here. He was limited on time. I would encourage you to listen to other shows too with his story. There's so much to it. And uh, he, he is someone that can keep you moving. And so uh, Brian, we're going to be talking about dry January at the end of this episode too to get a little update from Nick, our West Coast brewery correspondent, and me about what it has been like like halfway through dry January and how we're going to keep the party going after January because there's you know what 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 a lot of people find is they don't drink for the first month of the year if you feel good you feel great and so you decide to continue it and so coming from Nick and me who are two drinkers I I still enjoy an alcoholic beverage every now and then but always commit to dry January. And it's a great way to start the year off. So you're going to hear from me and Nick at after Brian's interview. What you know like like a mid-month check-in. And if you would like to join the party, because the party's going to keep going after January, go to our website. We've got dry January party packs that you can pick up um, or just order some of our beer. There's still two weeks left in dry January. And again, a lot of us are going to continue the party afterwards. So join it. All right, let's jump in. Brian, welcome to the show without compromise. What's up? How are you? Thank you. How you doing? Yeah, thank you for uh, thank you for jumping on. You know, I I have to admit, the first time I met you was uh, at the Palm Springs Dry January event. We did this workout, man, and you know I'm a cyclist. I I, I do a lot of riding, but your little workout, man, just that little thing that was nothing, wrecked me. I don't know if it's just I sit at the desk too long or what, but it was a huge wake up call, and I'm like, dang, 2022 needs to be different. No, you know what it is. It's um. Just like anything you, you you don't do in life, right, that you um, get thrown into that situation, it gets challenging, right? Just like um, someone's not a runner and you make them go run a 5K, uh, it becomes difficult for them. And that's what I think the beauty about fitness is, is that there's so many different types of fitness, um, so many different types of things that motivate people to do fitness. So, you know, you're a cyclist, like you said, so it would just be like taking me out for a long ride. I'd be, you know, hurting out there and you would probably be like, well, I thought this guy was pretty fit. Um, so, you know, it's all relative to what people are doing and what people aren't doing. Um, it, and it holds them accountable on a lot of different things. 
Oh man, that's a that's a great point because I thought I was pretty fit. I had to ride 300 miles the following weekend, and I'm like, oh yeah, I'm ready to go. I can do this. This workout won't be too bad. And holy cow, I was like sore on the ride a week later from the workout we did. So it was just crazy. I was like, dang, need to just I just need to diversify. Yep. You're not using muscles uh, or certain muscles that you would be using maybe when you're cycling. And it, it's just a different, you know, a diff, like a different meal that you're not used to having. And your body has to adjust and your body has to adapt. That's why I try to stay as hybrid as possible um, as an athlete and a person, because I want to be able to take on any obstacle that comes my way, any adversity that comes my way, anything that might be challenging or something out of the norm that I know that I'll be able to handle as best as I can because I, I should be prepared um, in all aspects of it. And your life has really shown that. You went from being a D1 soccer player at Rhode Island to the owner and manager of a nightclub that was hugely successful. And I want to ask, like, how did that even come about? What was that like to jump into a totally different world? And, and how did you even get into that line of work? You know, I'm an athlete by DNA, so – Soccer was something that um, came relatively easy for me. Um, so, you know, going to school and playing really wasn't that much of a challenge, but getting there um, and playing D1 soccer became a challenge because I, I really didn't face much adversity as a kid, uh, growing up as a kid. And, you know, that might might have been a little bit of a detriment to my success as an athlete in, you know, college sports. But, you know, I had a really good time playing. You know, we won the Atlantic 10 championship. I got rookie rookie of the week a couple times and made the A-10 team. So I uh, had a pretty good career there, not up to my potential or where I should have been, but it is what it is. And then uh, I didn't, you know, I didn't go pro and that was the plan. So I didn't know really what I wanted to do, but, you know, I had a bunch of interests, which was like menswear, uh, fashion or I always loved going out and being in the social setting. So I had an opportunity to work at a nightclub in the Hamptons and uh, that was through my sister. So I jumped into that and was really enamored by the business, fell in love with, um, you know, a lot of, you know, just the, the crazy stuff of partying and girls and running a nightclub, which is, is really superficial, but really fun. Um, not really fulfilling at the end of the day, but it filled a, um, a, a fun little void at the time. And stuck with that and created a really, you know, popular brand in New York City and, you know, just did what I, I knew what to do, which was entertain, show people a good time. I knew how to design, I, I interior design, I knew how to really set up bars and restaurants and stuff like that. So created a really great product um, and, and stuck with that for, you know, 13 years. Um, but just like any anything in life, you outgrow relationships, you outgrow certain situations and you know it ran its course and I, I i'm thankful for everything i went through during that time learned a lot of what to do and learned a lot of what not to do um who to trust who not to trust the, the biggest thing i i really take away from the restaurant and nightclub industry is that you meet so many contacts in that space that you know cover a lot of ground in and in a lot of fitness stuff and a lot of brand building and, and uh, a lot of different industries that now I'm really immersed in. So I use a lot of those contacts to this day. I've established really, really, really strong relationships through the hospitality world. And I always say, if you don't know what you really want to do in life and you're stuck in a crossroads, go bartend or go work at a nightclub or go work at a bar and you'll definitely 
pick up a lot of skills. You'll be able to learn how to interact with good people, bad people. And um, you, you learn a lot of lessons and, and meet a lot of great people. Man, I, I'm married to a, a uh, who was a bartender for, for 10 years, my wife. And same thing. She would say the same thing. Just the, the, the skills it gives you, the amount of contacts. Yeah, to this day, she knows a lot of those people and stays in touch. And it's led to things. You mentioned uh, some cool things. I, I, I was going to say, I'm sure during that time, there wasn't a lot of conversations about a non-alcoholic beer going on with, uh, with, with those bar setups. No, not at all. I mean, I was raging and partying. You know, I was really young. I started at 22. So there was definitely no non-alcoholic offerings or even discussion. It was actually like if you weren't drinking, you were like a big weirdo at the time. And I think there was the only like Odules was like the only non-alcoholic beer that people would, would talk about. But anyway, yeah, it was there was no option out there. Um, it wasn't, you know, like as in as it is now to take care of yourself and become the best version of yourself and do things um, to enhance your longevity. It just wasn't talked about as much. It wasn't covered as much. So yeah, it, it was really just party 24 seven. You mentioned you didn't grow up with a lot of adversity, but to me, I mean, you're very high achieving or very motivated. How do you think adversity would have helped you or what do you wish would have been different with your childhood? I love this question. You know, I thought about that today in my run, actually. And I think about this a lot when I'm out there running or training. Um, you know, I have this like kind of syndrome, like, you know, yeah, I'm successful and, you know, you can always be more successful and that's always the drive and the grind. Um, I don't know. I, I always wanted more in life. You know, I, I had a great, great upbringing, a two amazing parents, two amazing brothers and sisters, a brother and a sister. Um, we had a really loving family, a lot of unconditional love, a lot of respect for each other still do to this day. We're all very, very close. So like on the family front, I didn't really face much adversity, which I know is really not the norm in certain situations. Um, but I think like uh, as an individual as well, you know, I was always picked first for sports. I always played on, you know, the premier, premier soccer teams or hockey team or baseball team. So I was always a very, very strong and elite athlete growing up. So you know, I, I didn't really face losing a lot. I didn't, you know, it was always, I was a leading scorer. I was always performing the best. So I think when I got into college, when the, the playing field got a little bit more intense and level and I did face some adversity or I had issues with a coach or I had issues with other players, uh, I never faced that before because I was always held at this certain level or on a pedestal. So I think I didn't really know how to handle that. Uh, I was very immature when I went to school. So I was always like, blaming other people but the real problem was myself and I now I understand it but then I didn't where I think if I did face some adversity growing up in sports or as a person more I think I would be tougher I think I would be able to sniff out certain situations that might have not been the best for me um I just think I would have been a more well-rounded athlete in person going into a major d1 school to play soccer and I you know listen it Everything happens for a reason, right? I'm very happy where I am today with my life, but um, things could have been a little bit different and maybe some other, some goals that I didn't get to achieve would have been achieved, pretty sure. But yeah, that's the thing, you know, I, I just think that's the best way to put it is that I, I didn't, I wasn't as tough as I needed to be as a person going in mentally, um, going into playing soccer. What about now? Well, you know, I think I faced more adversity later in life which is totally fine. And, and I always say this to people too, like, 
you know, you should really treat adversity as your best friend because that's the uh, a very, very quick way. It's like steroids, right? It's a very quick way to grow. And, you know, I face adversity as not being able to conceive our, our children naturally and going through that process, which was hell, losing my home at the beginning of the pandemic to a house fire and having to rebuild during the beginning of COVID um, and just dealing with, you know, a business that was super successful, then be, then really failed towards the end. And then being like, all this hard work went nowhere. So um, I think towards the, you know, later years of my 20s, I started to face more adversity. Um, but by then, I was way tougher mentally, way tougher physically, and just more mature. So, you know, now I, I eat adversity for breakfast, and I, I, I enjoy it. And whatever comes my way, I know I'll get through it because the sun will always rise tomorrow. You just got to be able to be a fighter and um, get through things, you know, which I wasn't really able to do as a 17, 18, 19-year-old kid. I'm kind of getting off track of where I wa- was thinking this conversation would go, but I want to know, like, as a dad now, how do you see that in yourself and then, you know, project that on your kids and prepare them in a way that maybe you weren't? Do you, is it very conscious w- when you're parenting? Yeah, now, you know, that's an awesome question, too. You know, like, obviously, I want to give the same amount of love and experience that my parents were able to give us as children, right? So that that's not going to change. Um, I'm all over my children all day long, kissing them, hugging them, showing them that, you know, it's a, it's, it's the right way to be raised and love is good and all that stuff. And, you know, I think all kids should, should get that. Unfortunately, they don't. Um, but that's not going to stop on that front. I just think I'm going to be a little bit more tougher on my children than my parents were on me. Um, one thing that I really did love that my parents, you know, made us do is we all worked at a very young age. So, uh, you know, I was working at 13 years old, 12 years old, whether it was shoveling snow to make money or working at the deli to make extra money after school or, you know, working at the golf club or the country club in the summer. My kids are always going to do that because it teaches you, a, you know, a lot of work ethic. And then you get to really interact with older people as you're working and it teaches you responsibility. So my kids are definitely going to do that. And I wasn't coddled at all as a kid, but I'm just going to be tougher on my children and tougher on expectations of where they should be, either if they're an athlete or really importantly as a student and as a human being, right? Certain level of respect, certain level of uh, how to treat other people and really how to treat yourself. So that's where I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to do that by leading by example. I'm not going to really do that by uh, force feeding them certain things. I think as, as long as they see me continuing to chase my dreams, and continuing to fight every single day to be the person I want to be. I know that just being a short-lived parent right now, that your kids pay more attention to your actions rather than your words. You know, my kids ask me to run marathons every day with them. And I'm like, guys, we can't run a marathon every day yet. Uh, Maybe when you get a little bit older, I'll do that with you. But, you know, they're starting to pick up on what I'm doing physically, which I know um, will pay off for them because they see the hard work. They see how I eat. They see how... I don't drink um, and do certain things. So as long as I'm leading by example, I know that they will be fine. Something you need to talk about adversity and and maybe not having it at that age, but I've seen, I've heard stories about you and heard you talk about things you did to to kind of back yourself into corner into a corner and make yourself achieve something huge. And one example is when you started HPLT. 
and wired David Goggins some money. Do you mind telling us that story just briefly? I know we don't have tons of time, but I, I, I love that yeah, story yeah. of just putting yourself out there. Yeah, you know, this is at the tail end of my hospitality career um, with the group I started. And, you know, I, I knew that if I didn't attack this new business I wanted to create, I was never, ever going to do it. And it was just going to be a thought in my head and I was going to kick myself in the butt. So, you know, I, I was on our baby moon when we were about to have our second kid with my wife. And, you know, I've been planning this business in my head really for some time. And just from, you know, working in this industry, I really know how to throw events very well. So I said, if I could create a company that is something that now I really want to do, which is high performance training and mindset and just being a certain individual, how am I going to do this? Right. Like, yeah, I could just throw an event, but why are people really going to come? I'm sure I can get people to come because of who I am and who I know, but there's got to be another hook. So I was actually reading the book, David Goggins book, and I figured out a way how to get in touch with his manager. And I threw out a date to her and I didn't really have this company formed yet. It was just a thought. And she was like, yeah, this, you, you know what? And I gave her this pitch about what I thought this business was going to be. And she's like, oh, wow, sounds really cool. And I actually had a deck made for it to, you know, when I was pitching it, if I wanted to get certain people to come speak, they were going to ask for some literature or deck on it. So I had that as a, a weapon. So I sent her the deck. She thought it was really interesting. And she threw out this price. And she was like, all right, well, you have to send 50% deposit or like 75% deposit to come for having to come speak. And I said, all right, no problem. And I uh, wired him the money and didn't tell my wife that I did that until I told her I did that. And she really wasn't happy because I didn't discuss what this new business was going to be. Um, I, I don't really think that's a smart way for everyone to start a business in the sense of not disclosing what you're doing with your partner. But I knew that I was going to be fine once I was able to get that money out of my account because then it was going to hold me to a certain level of accountability to go hard and be successful at what I wanted to do. And once I did that, it was game on. And I, I really did not stop at being relentless in, in pursuing this goal and achieving this goal. So right when I did that, it was like strap up, let's rock and roll. And we had a really awesome event with David Goggins. Holy cow. Now that, that sounds like just a, I mean, stress. How did you deal with the stress of saying, okay, I just wired this guy 25 grand. I want to blow his mind as well as everyone else there. And and how do you feel like you pulled the, that off? Well, you know, I didn't think about him at all. You know, he was getting paid, so he was fine. Um, <laughs> right. So I, for me, I was just like, okay, you know, I got David Goggins. I have a huge headliner now. I know the format. I wanted to throw an event, a three-day event going. Let me reach out to people that I know would love this and be into it. And that's the best way when you start a business. You have to go to friends and family that you know are going to support you. Um, and I knew I was like, it's not like I'm just inviting them to come have drinks and a burger at my restaurant. I'm actually giving them so much value in return for them signing up for my summit. You know, they're going to meet David Goggins. They're going to go on a six-mile run with David Goggins. They're going to meet all these other entrepreneurs and all these other like-minded people. Um, so they're getting tremendous value. So I wasn't even scared about that. And I didn't really even give people an option. I said, like, you know, you have to come to this event. David Goggins is speaking. You're going to meet him. You're going to train with him. Send me the money. Let's rock and roll. And people were, like, really into it. You know, now we're on our seventh summit. Um, and it's going really, really well. We're selling out every summit so far, thank God. But we're providing so much community and value for people that, you know, I, for full disclosure, I think our ticket price is a little too low, the, the, the value that everyone gets. 
but the community is really tremendous and the community is really just growing so strong and so large and people are investing in each other's businesses. People are working together. People are becoming friends and that's the name of the game. Anything you want to be sustainable has to start with culture and community. And we're really hitting that perfectly for HVLT. You know, after having this be successful for a few years, you've got the pandemic that comes right out of nowhere. And being in, a, in an industry that's so heavily affected, has been so heavily affected by the pandemic, you had that to think about, but your house also burned down. That was one of the craziest stories I've ever heard. What, what was your mindset when that was happening pre-house burning down? And then when the house burned down, did that perspective change about, you know, how am I going to survive through this pandemic? You know, the house thing was like a fluke, which, you know, happened really quickly and it sucked. Don't get me wrong, but I looked at it like, okay, everyone is safe and sound, uh, including the animals. So it can't get much worse than this. Right. So like, okay, we're fine. We'll just rebuild. And I have this two minute drill, um, you know, and obviously it's a little bit more than two minutes, but it's like, you know, you, you, you assess a situation if it's really bad, you know, you sulk, you cry, but life moves on and life has to move on. Um, and I looked at it like, okay, all my kids are fine. We just lost our home. It's at the end of the day, it, it's just a material thing that we could fix. We can rebuild. We have great insurance. That's why it's awesome to have awesome insurance. So I was just like, you know what? Fuck it. Time to move on. Got a rental house literally two days later, right near my house, brand new house that was built that wasn't being, uh, no one was buying it. So I was able to get into that rental house really quickly and, and just keep our life moving in the positive direction and not looking back and looking at it as an opportunity to rebuild and make it bigger and better how we wanted to really do it. So, you know, it just sucked, right? But there's a lot of things that suck in life and you just have to keep pushing and you can't let them define who you are and you can't let them define your family. So, you know, we just were like, okay, it's an unfortunate situation keep it going so that was fine and then the pandemic hits and we actually were right when we finished our summit in LA you know in end of February everything gets shut down and that's why I say it's really important to have multiple re revenue streams as an entrepreneur and as, as a person because you know we just shut that summit revenue stream off and then turned on the other ones that were you know cranking and, and just going more all in on that so we were fine thank god so it's important to diversify who you are as an individual. Not you can't just put all your eggs in one basket as a as a person in business. Um, it, you have to invest, you have to save, you have to you know maybe do some other things on the side that just in case something happens, um, you're going to be okay. That you could tap into that. You know, I think just being more mature at this point and bringing everything back full circle to adversity and dealing with it and making it as your best friend and and just embracing it. It, it made me really strong as a person. It made my family really strong as a unit. You know, we know we could take on anything. Um, we knew that before, but now it, it solidified us more that we can we could fight through through all the bullshit, um, a pandemic or not, and a fire or whatever. You know, yes, it'd be a different story if, God forbid, we lost one of our children or, you know, if I died or my wife died or someone during that fire, it'd be a totally different outlook probably. But you know, we were very fortunate in that sense. So at the end of the day, we just lost a home. And I, I have to look at it that way. I'm not being insensitive to people who lose homes, but I'm just saying I had to look at it that way in order for me to continue to fight and move forward. 
Brian, I don't, I don't know what adversity early in life would have done to make you any tougher, man, because that's tough as nails. I love it. That's awesome. <laughs> well, I tell you what, we got a couple minutes. Let me ask you a couple rapid-fire questions, and uh, then we'll wrap this thing up. Great. What, what would you say your biggest goal you haven't yet achieved yet is? My, well, let's just talk about fitness. We'll jump right into fitness. Uh, probably the 100-miler. 100 100-miler. You recently did the New York City Marathon. What was that experience like as far as, you know, long distance running um it was good you know i ran a 50 i I ran three ultras before so i I thought the marathon was harder than the 50 miler to be honest um i kind of you know i caught i caught a really bad cramp on 22 which totally screwed up my goal so i didn't hit my goal but it was a really fun race the atmosphere was awesome and it was great to be out there with everybody that's awesome man well i tell you what what are you most interested about right now outside of fitness in general uh, I'm really interested. I'm starting a new business um, with a couple of really great people. So I'm really focused on that. But honestly, just being a dad is the main thing I'm focused on. I love it so much. Very fortunate to have my two boys around all the time. So that is what I am most focused on. That's awesome. Favorite daily habit? Getting up at 4 a.m. <laughs> you recommend that? 100%. What time do you go to bed then? Uh, 8.30. Dang, with the kids probably then. Jeez. Or earlier. They could probably go to bed earlier. They're in bed at 6.30. No. Wow, man. That's yep. awesome. Jeez. So my, my 2 a.m. to 8 a.m. isn't working then. Um. All right. Couple Two minutes left. What's your favorite athletic brewing beer? Oh, my God. You know what, though? I There have been so many new flavors that, that came out that I'm so in love with. The raspberry one this summer was really good, and I, I really do love the – um. I recently just got it. What is it? The dark cherry, the cherry brown, oh, yeah, brown the cherry, cherry, cherry brown? chocolate stout or something. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's just I mean, like literally yeah, next really Yeah. Cherry, cherry chocolate stout. That's yeah. That one's fantastic. Um, that's awesome. Well, yeah. you know, on every can of beer we sell, it says brew without compromise, but we believe that to brew without compromise, you also have to live without compromise as the last question. What does it mean to you to live without compromise? I love this. Uh, and this is why I love athletics so much because we're so aligned with everything we do. I don't negotiate or compromise with my goals. Um, and my wife knows that my, my children know that if there's goals that there are, there are certain goals that I have to hit or things I have to do as a father, as a businessman, as an entrepreneur, as an athlete, no one is standing in my way and I'm going to do that. And it's for the betterment of my family. Obviously these are goals that are positive and things that aren't like detrimental to my right, family. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, but all of these goals, there's no negotiating with them at all. It's just get it done or, or die basically. So that's it. I don't negotiate with any of that crap. All right. And now we're going to jump into a mid dry January check-in with both uh, Nick and I. I almost had a close call last night. <laughs> well, dude, tell me about it. I know it's halfway through dry January. It is, we're recording this, yeah, just about halfway through. And you and I both still, you know, we still enjoy alcohol. I like a good beer. I'll drink, you know, a little bit of stuff every once in a while. And I know you do too. What what happened uh, last night that was a close call? Yeah, I, I wouldn't say anything major, obviously, would have broken the rules, but... um my uh partner's mom wanted to do pina coladas uh she she she's not not a huge drinker or anything but um 
she has a uh, one of those shaker um, like you would find at a bar, and you twist the the shaker and it gives you the ingredients for different drinks. And she had all the ingredients for uh, pina coladas, so uh, my uh, partner decided to uh, make them and had a couple different glasses. Poured me one, kind of gave her a little bit of a look because she knew I was uh, participating um in oh, dry january did, and did uh, they know did your mother-in-law know uh she she was told she was my partner remembered and then poured me some pineapple juice so escaped breaking dry january 10 days in but yeah that was that was my close call wow man I, you know I, I i'd say pretty fortunate myself um but i've been seeing on social there's people really struggling with it like making that commitment to start off the year but they obviously are usually posting that to credit Athletic for helping them stay on track because it's such a great replacement. But yeah, man, I don't know what it is. You, you, you Dry January and sober October, people are just like giving you drinks constantly. And I don't know if it's just in the air or what. The universe just working against you. But, uh... Exactly. Yeah. And a couple of times I, I was looking in my fridge, I just wanted to have any beverage. And, and unfortunately, the only thing that I had were a couple of beers and I was luckily enough had some uh, some day pack on hand and a couple other athletic brews, so was able to quench my thirst and kind of ha- have the bubbles, have have a little bit of a uh, have that same taste, but avoid <laughs> avoid kind of a promise I made to myself and a challenge, and that's kind of the exciting part about it. I thought it would just be smooth sailing, but there have been some challenges, so that has been. A little mental fortitude, I guess you'd say, to to keep it going. Why why are you doing dry January then? Other than, you know, working in athletic and we're all encouraged to do it, of course, but like what are you getting out of it? I th- I think just a challenge for myself. I think there definitely are a lot of benefits. I mean, obviously health wise to to drink less alcohol, but I think for me it's more of a standpoint of um a mental challenge. And I think that there are a lot of benefits to challenging yourself in that way it's so easy for me just to have a beer at the end of the day um and i think in like restraining from that and it does take some mental strength and i think that it's just good to challenge yourself and i haven't not drank and even just a beer for this long and a long time so just something new, something to start off the year with, a, not in an easy win, I would say, just something that I have an opportunity to fail at. Yeah, I would say that that's kind of the main reason. So if this is the longest you've gone, or it's going to be the longest you've gone without having a drink in a while, what do you think you'll do after this? How are you feeling at this point halfway through? I'm feeling good. And I think that there are, my brother is participating as well. He's even motivated me a little bit just as a older brother. He's not much of a runner, but has uh, signed up for the Brooklyn Marathon. And he might go sober until then. And that's about four months out. And I, I'm kind of thinking of maybe doing going a similar route. Did a half marathon right before the pandemic. And I think, I think I'm ready to take the leap, especially with hearing some of the stories that you've told about our amazing athletes has been inspiring. So... I think I might take the leap. Maybe I'll have a, a beer or two in between that point, but depending on when, how far out the marathon is. But I, th- I think it's definitely something that, and at the end of 
whatever training having that reward even just or having even an athletic is something that I would definitely look forward to it's not often you can get a completely guilt-free reward you know what I mean like I often reward myself with ice cream yeah and that can be uh <laughs> you know then I end up eating like half the thing and I'm like it's all my reward um but I could drink five athletics and yeah there's calories calories there but it's not anything compared to the unhealthiness of some other rewards I have. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Total, pretty much guilt-free uh, reward. Definitely a better tasting one than a lot of other options, but that's cool, man. So, you know, there's a lot of people doing dry January right now that's by the end of the month, it's going to be like, huh, I don't even cr- want that anymore. I'm just going to, I'm just going to keep this thing rolling. Sounds like you're on that, bo- that boat right now. Yeah. Nick, anything else that's going through your mind with dry January specifically? Um, not not entirely i mean yeah just like re re-engaging with our brews um i think i had just being around them so much i had kind of taken a step away but just kind of getting excited for um our brews again excited for the taste excited for the innovation um and kind of just revisiting some of the flagships as well i think I have just haven't just not that I was avoiding them, but just hadn't really drank in too many in a while. So that's something I'm also interested in. For folks that don't know, you're not necessarily brewing anymore. Did you feel like updating folks on what you're doing now? Yeah. Um, so previously a brewer for athletic for almost two years, um, decided that I wanted to switch things up a little bit. And now I'm working in the more of the operations department so not 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 necessarily on on the front lines like i was used to in the production facility um but definitely still excited for the brand and more yeah i guess more so just brand now um not making the product but excited for what the business is excited for obviously the podcast and where the brand is moving forward from just a lifestyle standpoint. Thanks for hopping on, Nick, and a good luck in the new role here at Athletic Brewing. If you would like to check out what we're doing, go to athleticbrewing.com. You can get our dry January party packs. The party's going to keep going after January. Or you can find us on store shelves near you, use our store finder, or you can just you know order the beer right there from the website, free shipping almost anywhere in the country. And again, Happy New Year. Let's make it a good one.